heavily, I'm a clown. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. This episode is another remaster. It's an interview that I did with Justin Moon, a friend of mine. I did this interview maybe like a month or two ago. We talked a lot about his Biddle Bootcamp, or at least I tried to get Justin to talk about Biddle Bootcamp as much as I possibly could. So I've taken Justin's Biddle Bootcamp, and now what that is is essentially a coding bootcamp to take you from zero to hero and teach you as much as Justin can possibly fit in your brain about programming with Bitcoin. You go through all of the history of sort of electronic digital cash payment systems, and then you work your way up to Bitcoin, and then once you have the systems behind Bitcoin mastered, you actually work up to building your own Bitcoin applications. I cannot stress enough, guys, that this class was just an awesome, awesome experience. Now, you do need to know a little bit of basic Python before you're going to want to get involved. And even for me, I would say I had like a basic to intermediate understanding of Python. There were some parts of this course that were pretty tough for me, but that's how you learn, right? You know, you challenge yourself. So uh, listen to this interview and, (laughs) you know, maybe... If you like what Justin has to say, or if just the thought of programming on Bitcoin really interests you, you know, at the end, head on over to Biddle Bootcamp and and see what it is that he's got to offer. Anyways, guys, I want to say thank you to all of you who have been tuning into the podcast um, for the last two episodes and all the people who have subscribed and have given reviews and ratings or thumbs up on YouTube. All that stuff is really, really appreciated, guys. I am trying to get this podcast off the ground, so getting all the support right out of the gate has really meant a lot to me. So let's hear a quick word from the sponsors and then we will get into it with justin this episode of the bitcoin echo chamber podcast is sponsored by wtf happened in 1971.com the economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971 wtf 1971 also has a merch store now you can find it at wtf 1971.creator-spring.com i'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out Thanks for the support. Justin, how are you doing today, man? I'm excellent. I'm uh, I, I'm in Chicago uh, taking a class. So it's like my off week between the class. I go and take a class, you know, to improve myself. Right. And so I, 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 the class blew my mind today. I can, I can barely think, but I'm going to try as best as I can. I got a lot of caffeine in my body. And, uh, and I'm excited to, to talk with you. Yeah, I saw you posted about that on Twitter. It looked kind of like it definitely oh, looked over crazy. my head. So, yeah. So it's like, it's like this idea of uh, like most people, this is what the class is about is uh, most people look at computer programming as a practical tool. It's like, it's only interested be interesting because you can do useful things with it, like build a website or build a mobile app or, uh, you know, uh, launch a missile that can land exactly where you want. Like that's originally where a lot of the, interest came in like military applications right be able to send messages all over the world in like a war or something Hmm. and so that's where a lot of people think about coding is it's only interesting uh because it's useful right and so this 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 class is more about the uh like the computer programming is like an intellectual exercise uh so it's, it's this whole idea of like what is computation what does it mean to compute things and so uh we do this really crazy thing where you, uh, you, you only have like, you don't, you, you actually build a system that can, uh, can compute, do addition and all kinds of things. 
And uh, you don't start with any numbers. You just start with uh, a function that can only take one argument. If you remember functions from high school math, that's all you have. You have a function that can take one argument, like f of x, if you remember. from. And so you start with that, and you can build something that can do like all computations. It's like <laughs> unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's one of these mind-blowing things. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of the power of Bitcoin is like uh, I started getting back into programming again. And it's like I just... I just want to learn more of these things so I can so I can sort of take some of these ideas back and and apply them in this in this field. So, so that's what I've been up to, you know. Uh it's it's kind of addictive. You just you just have to keep improving yourself to keep up with your peers, you know, cuz yeah. in this space people move fast and uh it's one of the nice things is you're surrounded by some of the brightest people in the world. So it's like, you know, you get into some like Slack group or something like our our Bitcoin bootcamp like uh Slack group is like, man, there's some really bright people in there and there. Like today, people were trying to figure out how to run Tor on their full node. That was like the big thing people were talking about. Today. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's like, damn, I don't even do that yet. Like, <laughs> I need to do that. Yeah, that's uh, on my to-do list. Yeah, yeah. So it's but it's cool. So it's like it's it's inspiring to be around these. And uh, I, I think people like look at it. I mean, the, the reputation of Bitcoin people was always that they were kind of morons. I think in the past, <laughs> I think that's really changed. Like, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of really bright, sophisticated people who are working in these fields and uh, I think it's kind of a blessing to get to hang out with them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what, what kind of blew my mind about programming like when I first got into it was it, having like no coding background and kind of jumping into the deep end like I did so well, to speak. What was the timeline here? Um, this was like a couple months ago, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've, only, I've dabbled a little bit. Like when I was a kid, yeah. I would mess with like HTML and stuff, but sure, nothing, sure. Ne I never was like, I, I never jumped like straight into like back end python or anything yeah. like that so what i was having you do was not html that was right really yeah yeah so but like what what blew my mind about programming was like when i first realized i was like this is like a calculator that can talk to you so i was kind of like why don't they teach kids math in school via programming it because it makes so much sense when you can like build out a mathematical equation in in like python and come to the answer by finding the solution rather than just memorizing the formula and plugging in numbers. Like it's so much more interesting. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what this like little class I'm taking here in Chicago is. It's like a week long intensive classes. It's, it's like, it makes you think about these things. Like, man, it's like, I had to pay like the class cost 2,500 bucks, had to pay 2,500 bucks for a week. Like we got fly to Chicago, but it's like, it was worth it. Cause I'm learning so much. It's like, man, why couldn't my high school teachers teach me this stuff? Like, yeah, that's what I'm you know, saying. You know, get you really interested in these ideas, and like, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of fr it's kind of frustrating to be like, man, I'm I'm, you know, uh, I've lived a few decades now, and nobody like so few people were able to introduce these ideas in in a compelling way, and so yeah, it's uh, I mean that's that's kind of the thing that attracted me to inspired me to do the whole little boot camp thing is I've just. I really don't enjoy edu edu schooling, hmm. any sort of schooling environment I've yeah. ever been in. Dropped out of high school, dropped out of college. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm a, a re repeat offender. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, with like math in particular. I mean, one of the things that's so bad in math. I mean, there's a few things. Like, one of them is that, uh, like, a lot of it ends up being memorization. It's like they teach you a, a couple of steps, basically mm -hmm. an algorithm of how to like factor a, 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 an equation or something. Right. Which, like, which isn't learn, interesting at all. You learn that in seventh grade. Yeah. I mean, like the like rote memorization of a thing. Yeah. is not interesting, but it's like maybe if you, I mean, there's so many different ways where you could sort of make it 
make it more interesting. But the, the problem is, is they make it, it's memorization and then, and there's no feedback loop. And so the, the great thing in programming is that like, you know, it's like it, it, the memorization is like you get a problem, you try it and then your teacher tells you if you're right or wrong and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it sucks. And it's embarrassing because like, it's really embarrassing uh, when you get it wrong and, and people just check out. In programming, it's more like, okay, I have the computer here. I'm talking to the computer. The computer actually never shames me like the teacher does. Uh, and I get to like try something. And as soon as I hit enter, I don't have to wait for a solution. I don't have to submit my homework and get it back next week. It tells me right then whether I got it right or not. Hmm. And usually you get it wrong, but there's no shame in it because it's just you and the computer. Right. And then you try, you can you know, change it a little bit and, and try it again. And so it's one of the powerful things about computer programming just as like a, uh, a learning environment. You get this rapid feedback. And of course, the, the more frequently you get feedback, the more, the, the more rapidly you improve, right? Hmm. Uh, like if if uh, if you never get feedback from other people, no matter what you're learning, you're not going to become very good at it or you know, feedback from something. You need feedback to improve. You know, you need to know when you're doing good, when you're doing bad. And programming gives you really clear feedback. Uh, and and so that's 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 one of the things I think that's that's uh, that's really powerful about it. I agree completely. Yeah. So. Can you like for those of us here in the audience that that may not know who Justin Moon is? Can you give us like a quick, down and dirty five minute synopsis? Like, sure. What's where? What's your background? How did you get into Bitcoin? And what led you to where you're at today, where you're running a coding bootcamp for aspiring Bitcoin developers? Yeah. So let me let me think for a second where to start there. So uh... start with how you found out about Bitcoin. Yeah. So. I mean, I knew about Bitcoin for probably six or seven years. Like, I mean, I bet I heard about it in like the 2011 when it ran up a ton there. Uh, I don't really remember exactly when, but you know, I'd always like, I'm always on the internet. So I'm pretty sure I was aware uh, when, I maybe it was 2012, one of those like spikes, I think the second big spike in mm-hmm. price. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the one in whatever, 2013, uh, I was aware of at that time. But I always thought it was like, some uh, I thought it was a pipe dream. Like, I just didn't. I just didn't imagine how the average. I I couldn't imagine how the average person would see it as real. And I also didn't see the problem that it solved. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't understand. Like I'm like you know no one's ever tried to seize my money. Why do I need unseizable money? Mm-hmm. You know like uh, you know like me. Uh, I never thought that inflation and government monetary policy was a big problem. Yeah. Uh, I never, uh, you know, uh, this whole class of things where you, 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 which would lead you into Bitcoin. I didn't just, re- I didn't recognize those things as, as, as real problems. They just didn't seem like problems to me. And so I, I was aware of it. Uh, I was actually much more interested in Ethereum when it first came out because mm-hmm. I was a programmer and I thought it was like, oh, cool. You can build like this new class of applications. Let me try it. And so I tried to make like, I was like, okay, what, what could you build with this? And this was like three or four years ago. And so I, I was like, okay, you want something that uh, people will want to shut down, but they can't. And so I'm like, okay, gambling. And this is it's funny because this is what people have been doing for years now. It's like, okay, yeah, gambling. Okay. And so I tried to build like a, a bookie, you know, someone you could bet, do sports betting with, you mm-hmm. know, like a, a program you could do sports betting with. And I got a ways through and I'm like, this is stupid. Why am I? I don't care at all about gambling. I'm like doing it backwards, right? What you should do is you should start with a problem that needs solving and then choose the technology to solve it. What I was doing is I was starting with a technology that sounded cool and was trying to invent some imaginary problem to solve. And it's like... That's that's so how I, you I, end I up with CryptoKitties. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. CryptoKitties. It's like, yeah, very innovative. Give them $30 million and how much they've raised. Like, 
give me a break. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what that. So that was, you know, I, I thought that was more interesting before. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, around that same time I was working at a, uh, a startup. It was for, uh, we kind of did two things and that's why we failed. Uh, cause you shouldn't ever do two things as a startup. You should just do one thing. Uh, so we, we were making the first, the, the first thing we did was we made like an API for issuing debit and credit cards. API is like, uh, uh, basically a, uh, an automated sort of service that software developers can write code that interacts with, right? So, you know, if you want, if you ever see a, a like Facebook login, login with Facebook button, right? What that button does is when you click it, that website will go and like contact Facebook's API and say like, hey, uh, we, like, what do you know about this user? And can we, we log them in, you know, like this, that's sort of how it works. So it, it lets you like hook into someone else's service basically. Yeah, it, it lets these technical services kind of talk to each other. And so in an automated fashion, and so that's what an API is. It's, it's an application programming interface. So it's like an in interface, you know, there's like two things and there's the API is sort of the, uh, the translation, translation layer that these two services that, that don't understand each other, right? Like one speaks Spanish, well, the other speaks Chinese. And like, this is the translator is the API. So, uh, so we were making an API to issue debit and credit cards. And so a couple things that were really cool about this is that, uh, to, to, to create a debit or credit card program, if you have some interesting use case, like for example, if you're Square Cash, you know, the Square Cash app, they have this, uh, now they have a debit card to allow you to spend off your Square Cash balance. It's pretty cool. They have all these interesting rewards. It's a really cool program. Mm -hmm. and so if you're Square Cash, you're like, hey, we want to issue debit cards. If you go to a traditional route, it takes like six, nine months to be able to do that because you have to find a bank to sponsor mm -hmm. you. You have to hire compliance staff. Like there's all these hoops you have to jump through mostly because the modern like uh, governments view banking not so much as like a universal right, but as an enforcement mechanism, mm -hmm. right? Like banks are not a right. Banking is not a right. It's, it's, it's the way they, uh, it's the way they uh, assert control and basically try to empower those they support and uh, remove power from those they don't support. Right. And so that's, uh, that's sort of the root cause here. And that's why it's so hard to integrate with the banking system. And so, our service was basically a way to make it easier. You could just go to our website, upload a couple files, and then we would sort of arrange the sponsorship of a bank and all this stuff. And you'd, you'd have your cards and your card program up and running really quickly. Hmm. And you could like interact with the cards. You could, you could write software that would pull money on and off cards and uh, approve and deny purchases and send emails reminding you to maybe upload a receipt or something. Mm -hmm. We had all these like functionality you could build. And so the Square Cash example is actually when Square Cash wanted to do a card, we actually were the ones that made their first prototype. So it was really cool. Like one day we were in the office and all of a sudden we were like, holy, holy shit, Jack Dorsey just swiped the card, you know, it was, it was nice. like really cool. So it's the same with Venmo, uh, a couple other things like that. So it was a promising thing. And actually now Stripe has, uh, Stripe is probably the leading credit card processing company. They now have a business that does this. And so it's a really cool business. Uh, and then the other thing we did is we tried to, like that's a platform, right? Mm -hmm. This is like a platform. The other thing we tried to do is build an application on that platform. Uh, and so that was like a corporate expense management program uh, <coughs> where you, everyone in the company could like get cards and they could manage their expenses without having to do reimbursements, right? At a traditional company, you spend your own money and then you get reimbursed. And sometimes it's a big pain. Like you can have you can be waiting for like ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars if you're a consultant yeah. to travel a lot. Yeah, it becomes a big pain. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes consultants like it because they get to use like fancy rewards credit cards, <laughs> right? And so it's like 
you know, this whole credit card thing is like a big, it's like. It's a racket. It's, it's a racket, exactly. It's like, the more I'm around it, it's like, boy, this stinks, uh, you know? And so I think this is one of the things that kind of led me into Bitcoin, of like this experience. So, so, so what, uh, what went wrong with this you know, project? Let me finish. Sure. Yeah, let me finish. So, the, uh, we, so this application was like, you know, uh, it was, yeah, it was an application. So the problem is, is like, we we're trying to do two things at once and we just had our attention split and then the company, the two founders sort of had a bunch of conflict and it, I won't tell you the whole thing. It, it gets worse, but I won't tell it all. So, uh, so yeah, it, it sort of fell apart, but it was a great experience because I learned how startups work or how, you know, marketing works, how to build software. That was my first ever software job. Uh, built mobile apps, web, web apps, APIs. I built everything. So, uh, so that was really fun. Uh, I joined the company before it raised any money. It raised like 30 40 million dollars. And so I got to see all that, which was really, really interesting. And so, uh, so yeah, but so having seen the, uh, seen the traditional banking system in depth, like, like we, I, I saw how the like API documentation, when you want to hook into a MasterCard mainframe, they still use mainframes for like credit card programs, like mainframe computers, like a room, a computer that's like the size of a room, like this doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what we do now is we have a bunch of small computers that are modular, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you want a bunch of small things that are modular because you can add and combine them and, uh, you know, route information between them. And it just, it just uh, is much more flexible. So they're on this like really backwards, old school, you know, uh, mindset. And like the reason is because they have this massive regulatory capture. You can't, you can't start a bank nowadays. You can't start a credit card processing network. They just have a monopoly. They have monopolies, and so uh, so they ha they can survive with like '80s technology, and it's fine. And so so this and like many other experiences, though, made me open-minded to Bitcoin. And so when the last bull market happened, actually one day one day my mom called me and she's like, uh, "Justin, uh, sorry, you know, just for our reference, what time period is this? Like what year? This is like a year ago. Okay, yeah, yeah about a year ago. Uh, she's like, Justin, my you know my dad, you know your dad is." Uh, He's buying all these coins. He's buying uh, Putin coin and he's buying uh, F word coin. I won't say it. Uh, he, he liked the meme coins. My dad was like, thought it was hilarious to buy meme coins. And so he wanted to like go to this grocery store and pay for his eggs with F word coin. You know, this <laughs> is like so funny. And so, and then, you know, maybe he bought a little bit of Bitcoin too, but. Uh, like, so I was shocked because my dad's an old guy and you know, doesn't know how to use a cell phone. And so uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, if he views this as somehow real, uh, that was kind of my assumption is that this was always for nerds. Can, can, so, so can you tell me a little more, like, what what did, what did your dad see in this stuff? Like, uh, I think he mostly saw it as penny stocks. He thought it, okay. he saw it as something where the, price, the value moves around a lot. Uh, and... Uh, he saw that I think a lot of it was like he saw that other people were interested in it too. Mm -hmm. Like he would have never been interested in it unless everyone else was interested in mm -hmm. it. So like this is the other thing that I saw. I was like, oh, like uh, you could actually get everyone to use this if everyone else was using it, mm -hmm. right? Like people would go along with this if everyone else was using it, right? And that's kind of what the bull market last year taught me was, uh, or like the I shouldn't say the bull market, the bubble. The bubble last year taught me that, like, these, you know, you can get cab drivers to happily accept this, spend this, use this, as long as the other cab drivers are doing mm -hmm. it, right? Or, like, the customers or whatever. 
like uh, humans imitate each other and yeah. like that's an important mechanism in the adoption of Bitcoin. So, so yeah, that was, so, so yeah, that kind of opened my eyes. And then, you know, I finally read the white paper. It was kind of embarrassing. I looked in my like bookmarks, I bookmarked the white paper like five years ago. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. I remember sitting one time in my office at work, like four or five years ago with the Bitcoin paper open. And I was just like, should I read this? I really should. And then I, I, I something happened. I never read it. Probably went to look at cat pictures or something. Yeah, if I if I had read that, it would have been a like I'm pretty sure I would have gotten it pretty quickly. Like I just never had the right explanation. I never read the right white paper. My fault, hundred percent my fault. So, yeah. so I went and read the white paper. There's a really good uh, YouTube article or YouTube thing. Like it's called like How Bitcoin Works or something. Uh, there's like two of them. Uh, how Bitcoin works under the hood, and then how how Bitcoin works in five minutes. They're both like curious inve- inventor. Uh, I really recommend those. They're you know they have millions of views. Uh, I, re- well, I watched the one that was five minutes a couple times, and I was like, oh shit, uh, this is actually like an interesting technical idea. Like I have a math degree, a background, so I can understand the technical stuff, and was a coder, so I was like, oh, there's this really interesting and novel. And I built financial systems before. So it's like oh, it's like everything about this is way different. And so then I, I watched this other video a couple times and was like, mm. and then I went and read the white paper and like slowly over, and this is over like a month or so. And then like over the next couple months, I think I, uh, I got interested in shit coins first, like as <laughs> everyone does. Like I thought Bitcoin was sort of like the uh, AOL. Like, yeah. I didn't, I, I sort of assumed that. So, uh, so. I think we all lived that meme at one yeah. point in time. Well, yeah, it's like you see these articles and it's like, you know, Roger versus saying, oh, the Bitcoin, you know, he take, takes a bit. I remember this and there's like, oh, Roger was like, he took some Bitcoin core developer to a cafe and he's like, yeah, let's buy with Bitcoin at the cafe. And the core developers like, sorry, I don't have Bitcoin on my wallet, on my, in my, on my phone. Like I can't spend it mobily. And, Bit, Rod, you know, Roger Ver made a big uh, stink about this. It was something like this. Right. And so it was like, at the time I was like, well, what an idiot. He's not even using the currency he supports. Like what a, what a, uh, big contradiction. And so, you know, this and other things like memes, these, these are like anti-Bitcoin memes, like they're persuasive. And so I fell for them. And, uh, but that, I just slowly did my homework. I read Mastering Bitcoin. And then I, uh, I had a fateful Amazon purchase. I bought uh, crypto assets by, what's that guy's name? Uh, Bernstein or something, crypto assets. Yeah, I, I have that book on my to, to read list, but I haven't read yeah, it. Don't, don't read it. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, don't read that, return that. Uh, <laughs> That's that's my advice. Uh, Crypto assets: the investor's guide to Bitcoin. Oh God, and Bitcoin and beyond. Yeah, terrible book to be honest. Like, so you're opinion. saying you should read the Bitcoin Standard instead? Yeah, and so I read. I my the other one I bought was the Bitcoin Standard. I bought them both in the same purchase. This crypto assets book, in my opinion, was so bad. I didn't want to read the Bitcoin Standard, but I did read the Bitcoin Standard, and I, I got hooked. And around the same time, I started reading the Nakamoto Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, website nakamotoinstitute.org i think mm-hmm. that's run by pierre richard and bitstein if mm-hmm. you don't know them go follow them on twitter pierre richard pierre underscore richard and bitstein and also listen to their noted podcast i think those two are probably the two most two of the most intelligent uh people in bitcoin in cryptocurrencies in general yeah they're very principled they could have made millions of dollars uh participating in altcoins and stuff uh, but they, for like six or seven years now, they have not veered for a second from their original, their their thesis that uh, 
uh, and so they're they're very consistent and and intelligent. And so I, I basically read their whole website. This Nakamoto Institute is like a compendium, really, of like the cypherpunk ethos. You know, these people who are trying to use computers and cryptography to uh, basically improve individual freedom. That's the way I would describe mm -hmm. cypherpunk. Mm -hmm. And so it's very subversive, right? It's trying to like decrease the power that the state has over individuals. Mm -hmm. and, and, you, and not in like a violent way or just in a no, way. No, for peace. For right, peace. right, right. In a way like, and, and this was a misconception that I had for a really long mm -hmm. time where I thought anarchy was like this really violent uh, thing. And the people who wanted that, that type of system in the world just wanted to see everything burn to the ground. Yeah, like burning cars, flipping cars yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, no, it's actually, it just means like the more intellectual version of it is that it just means that you don't have uh, a central, basically what it means is that you don't have, uh, there's, there's two monopolies that you, you like a, an anarchist doesn't, doesn't want, uh, opposes. The one mon monopoly is that uh, of ju judicial monopoly. Mm -hmm. You don't want one institution that employs all the judges. So like, there's only one institution that can decide what is and isn't just what the rules are and shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. This idea is that you should, you should, you know, if there's a dispute, you should be able the two people who have this dispute should be able to go to the wisest judge they can find. Mm -hmm. And they, they should, it, it shouldn't matter whether the judge is, uh, what, what, you know, who's, who it is employed, who they're employed by. They should just go to the wisest one. Right. And that, that's sort of a sensible thing to say. It's like, you know, if you have a dispute, go to the wisest guy. Of a girl, free whatever. market of courts, so to speak. Yeah, free market of courts, yeah. And so that's the first monopoly that an anarchist doesn't believe in. And the second monopoly uh, is... Legal monopolies. Well, so, yeah. So that, like, legal is sort of like judicial. It's the same thing. Well, no, no, no. It's legally like, protected business monopolies. Sh sure. Well, actually, that, yeah, true. But the, 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 it's like a deeper thing. It's... Uh, the monopoly of uh, basically the, the the ability to charge taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Because in uh, in the U.S., basically protection money, right? Like in the mob, these mm -hmm. taxes are basically called like protection money. It's like, hey, you won't die if you pay us twenty percent of your take, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's in the mob movies. That's what it always is. And so, in a modern like nation state, you can charge uh, like I can't charge taxes, right? If I try to charge someone else taxes for some you know, uh, I go to prison. That's like extortion or something. Uh, but if the state does it, that's fine. They're the only one that can do it. So this judicial monopoly and the uh, the uh, uh, taxation monopoly are the two like really core ones. And then from those, it's like uh, like if you don't have a judicial or a taxation monopoly, if there's no one that can do that, it's like you can't really have a like a business monopoly. It sort of becomes sort of impossible because it's like, well, if there's nobody to like, uh, I mean, the only way, like, a, what what a monopoly really means is that is that it's it's expensive to to start a competitor. It's impossible to start a competitor, right? But if as long as there's no like legal or government taxation like uh, rules that are stopping you, like you're free to start a competitor, right? And like that's the big thing about uh, you know like comcast or verizon and, and uh like these these class of companies it's like the reason they have monopolies is not that you know there's only three or four of them the reason that they have a monopoly uh is that it's impossible to start a new one mm -hmm. right and so then they don't have to basically they don't have to pay attention anymore because 
uh, they just all get lazy and they, they, they all, you stop innovating because there's no threat, right. you know, there's no threat. And then they become huge too. Like that's one of the things we sort of assume that companies with like a hundred thousand employees is, is a normal thing. No, like, I don't think there'd be any companies with a hundred thousand employees in a world where you had, uh, zero regulatory stuff to do. Like most of that is just because the cost of regulation is so high. People just like band together to fight against the, basically the, the abusive courts and uh, taxation, ta- 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 taxing authorities. So, hmm. so this is, I mean, I don't necessarily buy all these ideas, but that's the, that's kind of the idea of anarchism, right. the real idea. And, and all of this is rooted in Austrian economics, which comes from guys like Rothbard and, and Ludwig von Mises and, uh, yeah. F word von he- uh, F A Hayek and all all those yeah, guys. Hoppe, Hoppe yeah, is a really good one. And and none of those guys. Re- yeah, uh, Her- uh, Hans Hermann Hopp. I'm reading. Exactly. A, I have a book he's, of his right here. Actually, uh, this is this is a very good. I've been yeah. reading that one too, man. That one's yeah. a trip. That is a trip. That book. Absolutely. So, uh, so and and yeah, if, so that's like so that's that's the go go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't want to go too down the Austrian economics rabbit hole right now, um, but because I talk about it all the time on here and I'll, I'll, I'll gladly have you back on if you want to go down that rabbit hole, but I want to kind of uh, steer this back towards Biddle Bootcamp. Cause I, I know, I, I know why you're, why you're doing what you're doing. Cause it's the same reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing, you know? Oh, sure. Um, but Austrian economics and they, they don't teach it in public schools and Nakamoto Institute noted podcast. Those are great, great resources for you guys to go. If you want to check out more, uh, I'm a patron for noted podcast. Justin was just on there earlier this week. I'm sure that that episode will be dropping sometime soon. If you guys want to hear yeah, it sometimes in the next week. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, Bitcoin. Steer it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so easy to get diverted, man. <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah so so yeah let me so like uh so yeah that was sort of where so over so yeah last summer i decided hey i i should apply my bitcoin or my programming and math skills to learn about to try to like contribute to bitcoin so i decided it was a good idea and so i went and looked around how to learn it was like i wanted to learn fast i want to get up speed really fast and i was willing to pay a lot of money to do that so i've only found one thing jimmy song had a great two-day class and i did it and it was phenomenal but it was four thousand bucks so that one was, it was dear, the price, uh, but it was worth it. It was one of the best things I ever did. If you look at my GitHub activity, it's like before that, it's like I wasn't doing anything. GitHub is like sort of like a Dropbox programmer or something. Mm-hmm. So before that class, I wasn't doing anything. As soon as the class happened, all this activity, right? So you can, you can see my behavior just completely changed after doing that. I sort of fell back in love with programming uh, after being burnt out of it at the startup experience. So... So yeah, but after I got out of the program, the, the two day thing, I was, I was kind of like crestfallen. There was nothing else to, there were no other like classes or, or like, you're just sort of like stuck reading open source code, trying to make sense of it. Mm. And that's really hard. Uh, especially if you don't have any, like I had no mentors. I had, like, I, I found some that could, people could help, but it was just like, it's just really a slog. So, uh, so kind of around that time I decided I'd probably be better off trying to, uh, so, so like I should also express like, the reason I think it's important for people for to have more programmers and why like programming on Bitcoin is a useful thing is that I think the world would be much better off if Bitcoin was just the one money we used, right? If you cross a border, it's like you don't need to change your money. Uh, if you if you get paid, you don't need to go stick your money in like a mutual fund or a an, you know an IRA or a four hundred one k. All these like ridiculously complicated legal structures that basically. They're super hard for the average person to do right, 
And basically, they're just a racket for rich, really smart rich people to take money from less smart people, hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's just like, the only way you can be any good at it is if you're, if you're like a lawyer, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like a ridiculous thing. So like, in a world where you could get paid and you could just leave your, your payment where you, you know, you just leave it there in Bitcoin, just like they used to use with gold, just like you leave it there. And it just accumulates in it. It uh, appreciates in in buying power, right? Because mm-hmm. you have this little fixed piece of the pie, and the pie gets bigger. You know, the last 500 years, the pie is you know the size of the world economy just gets bigger and bigger. And if you have your slice, and the the, the pie gets bigger, your slice also gets a little bigger. So uh, you can just maintain and grow your purchasing power by just doing nothing. The default, like mm-hmm. that, would be a really powerful world. Uh, if the government doesn't like what you do. Uh, like like you, if the government or some agency doesn't like you, they can't take your money, right? Uh, and more importantly, you know, the government isn't able to print money and fund its activities that way, right? The U.S. dollar appreciates, the, the supply of the U.S. dollar goes 6% every year. So this is like hundreds of billions of dollars, and it just goes straight into the government's pockets, and they just waste it, right? And it's, it's an implicit tax on everybody who holds the money, because every time they print a dollar, Yours, your, your slice of the pie got a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, so I think just a world where you know you had this unconfiscatable, inflation-free store of wealth, and also payment methods that were instant and very low fee, such as the Lightning Network. I think this would just be a, a vastly better system. All these like ridiculous credit card companies and point scams and all this like bullshit you have now. Uh, all these like you know banks that get bailed out whenever there's a crisis, like foreign exchange markets, like the every day trillions of dollars are moved between different currencies, and it's like it's not productive at all to be swapping money between currencies. And like you know the people who do this trading get rich; they just like sort of tax it a little bit, get rich. It's like why are we doing this? In in the gold standard, every every unit of money was just a weight in gold, and you just like go on a calculator and then you trade them right there was no need for markets that fluctuate against each other so like i could go on and on about all the ridiculous things that the fiat money system has given birth to but a bitcoin world would eliminate every last one of these things and i think that'd be really powerful Hmm. and uh and and like moreover like i don't think bitcoin really needs many more features to be good like it'd be good if we like the only thing that's really missing now is privacy we need better privacy uh but as a hard computer science problem, we don't yet know how to deliver it because we could make it so it's perfectly private, but then it might have hidden inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like, uh, if, I'm not very good at explaining this because I don't totally understand it, but like as a hard computer science problem, if you make the transactions perfectly private, which we know how to do, Greg Maxwell suggested a, a, uh, a technique for this long ago, like five years ago, which was adopted in Monero, uh, about how to do this, but the problem is, is there might be a hidden inflation, which we saw with Bitcoin Private, right? Yeah, yeah you, like, you can't audit what you can't see. Yeah, you can't audit what you can't see. Exactly, yeah. you nailed it. So it's like, well, that sort of like removes the best thing about Bit- one of the best things about Bitcoin, the fixed supply. So it's like, it's a research problem. You can't just like get an ICO altcoin and fix this. And so if somebody does fix this hard computer science problem, the Bitcoin core developers are going to be all over it, and it's going to be merged into Bitcoin. And you're not going to need another altcoin. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't see how anybody would solve this problem and have it basically take form as a new network. 
And moreover, every other competitor is not decentralized. Bitcoin's the only one that has meaningful decentralization. Mm -hmm. No one has controlled Bitcoin for like seven, eight years now. Yeah. Uh, the core developers oftentimes aren't even friends. A lot of them like kind of dislike each other a little <laughs> bit. Like now that I've met a couple, there's like li little rivalries. There's like, you know, disagreements. Yeah, and a lot of them uh, disagree pretty strongly ideologically too. They, they all agree yeah, that Bitcoin like, is important and they all work on it, but they could, you I mean, have like a Roman Catholic over here and an atheist over here. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you have Luke Dash Jr., who's a Roman Catholic monarchist, yeah. right? And then over here, you have like other people, I don't know if you have a good example, but you have another one who's like a atheist socialist, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, you can't get more different uh, philosophies than that. And so, you know, Luke Dash Jr. wants a 400 kilobyte block size. This guy wants a two megabyte block size. Like a lot, there's, there's all this, uh, there's all this disagreement. And I think that's really healthy because actually... Bitcoin as it is works extraordinarily well right now. We basically probably don't have to change it ever for it to run the world economy. I think it, it would, it's probably good enough now. So that, that begs I, a good question. If Bitcoin is pretty good in its current form, if it's mostly good, why do we need more people who, can, who understand Bitcoin? Why is it so important that we have more software developers? Yeah, so, uh, so Bitcoin's like a protocol uh, at the bottom, right? So it's like, Let's say you had the, you know, the HTTP protocol is a protocol like Bitcoin. It's for sending documents over the internet. And these documents are served in your web browser and they become web pages, right? <clears throat> so let's say like 20 years ago, the HTTP protocol was just or 50, like 30 years ago. It was just dropped on us from God like a Satoshi. It's like here, it's a perfect working HTTP protocol for the internet, right? Like, should people learn how this works and build on it? Well, if you want any apps or mobile, mobile or any uh, apps or websites, the answer would be yes, because like apps and websites don't build themselves, right? Like you need an army of developers to build the Airbnbs and the uh, Twitters and the Hangouts of the world. Like that's where this conversation is happening is, is because you have application developers who built on top of these protocols. And so it'll be this, it's the same way with Bitcoin. Yeah, if you believe that the Bitcoin protocol is sufficient, it's not actually, you know, yeah, you can send money using it just like you could send uh, documents using HTTP, but there's just so much more you need to make on top of that before it is like an ergonomic, user-friendly experience for the average user, right? So we're going to have to build an entire financial system. Like hmm. basically like half the buildings in New York City are going to have to have all their employees fired and they're going to have to start from scratch because the the financial system they've built sucks. And we're going <laughs> to—I'm exaggerating a little bit here—but uh, but like we're going to have to rebuild the financial system. Uh, we're going to have to rebuild how a lot of like international trade works. We're going to have to rebuild how people store wealth. We're going to have to re, 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 you know drastically change how people do deal with inheritance. Uh, there's all these like kind of you have to explain all these changes. Uh, and you can't just, you know, you have to teach users how to do all these things. You have to, people be, have to be able to like respond to FUD, you know, the basically shitty explanations of what would go, what could go wrong. Like you need to understand what, uh, which, which problems aren't going to happen. Like which, 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 how, how Bitcoin won't fail, right? Because people are, you know, there are all these, these ridiculous articles. And if, so if you learn some Bitcoin development, all of a sudden, you're immune to this whole class of things. You got to teach people to, uh, you know, keep track of their private keys because that's the most important thing. You got to teach people how to run a node, 
right? And that, that sort of requires some software sophistication or at least the ability to outsource that responsibility to someone else. So like, that's like 20 things that are all huge Herculean efforts. And you're going to need an army of Bitcoin developers to, to accomplish any one of them. And so, yeah, that's not really necessary now where Bitcoin is like, you know, 0.1% of the money supply of the world. Like it's just a, it's just a grain of sand still compared to the money supply of fiat currencies. But if it goes to like 70% or something, like it may never reach hundred percent. Gold is probably always going to be there a little bit as like a hedge against like, like I don't think gold will ever go away, but uh, it, it'll probably be the huge minority in my view. Uh, and so if it, if it went to that stage, it's like, you're just going to, there's so much that needs to be done. And so these skills are, would be in extremely high uh, demand. And that's why I did Biddle Bootcamp, started Biddle Bootcamp, because like, I just saw that there was only one person teaching any of these skills, and I had all the background to do it effectively. And so that's kind of my goal. Like last year we had like about 60 people go through the class. We're not actually completely done yet, but we've made a lot of really good progress. And the class kind of never finishes either. Like hmm. you'll finish, but like everyone stays in the Slack group and we just continue like, I just continue putting out more stuff and it's mm -hmm. like, which I, like which I really appreciate because I'm a slow learner and kind of bad totally. at programming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want it to be like, a, I want it to be like a learning community, right? Where it's like, we're all in it. Like we don't, we're not going to see any payoff. We're going to see our payoff from this when the next bull market comes, right? Maybe it's five years, maybe it's two years, who knows? Uh, so we're like all just working together, uh, trying to help each other until that point. Right. So I, I want it to be like, kind of like, you know, we're all on a big ship and we're just trying to sail where we're going, right? And so that's, that's kind of how I view Biddle Bootcamp. So, uh, so yeah, I got like 60 people last year. I'm shooting for like a thousand this year. That's probably, I probably can't get there, but I'd have, uh, I don't know, I'm going to shoot high. Yeah. Uh, just try to, we just need so many more. We need yeah. so many more people. So uh, can, can you give yeah. me like a framework? What, what is Biddle Bootcamp exactly? Like, I know because I've been through it, but I want to hear it from the man himself. If I ah, sign up good. tomorrow, what good can question. I expect to learn? Good question. Uh, so, so Biddle Bootcamp is uh, project-based. Can you hear that? There's some kind of an alarm. Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about that. So Biddle Bootcamp is very project-based. Uh, and I, I, so I sort of believe that, like, the, one of the most empowering things, like, I, I, I don't like uh, academic ways of going about things. I, I, I sort of more like, uh, like a, uh, tinkering like I sort of like people, my friends just, <laughs> my friends uh, making fun of me right now uh, so I like I like more of like uh, like I, I think a good model for learning is more like the Wright brothers compared to like Einstein or something or like uh, not Einstein but like you know like some PhD person like fancy uh, fancy like Steven Pinker is like a good example now uh, like I, I like people who just like started tinkering and uh and became really sophisticated by actually solving the problems at hand in a in a in a domain that they were really interested in benjamin franklin was a great example right completely untrained as a scientist basically invented the battery you know like this guy i think he like invented the like spectacle like he, he did like he made a really good fireplace learning you know, by like, doing right yeah he learned by doing yeah so it's like and and, uh, and, and, and only doing things he really was interested in. And so, so that's what I, I want to make it really project-based and empower people. Like I try to do projects where like the end result is like 
a super cool playground, right? So once we finish the project, that's when the learning really starts. You can try to extend it this way, extend it that way. See if you can break it. See if you can uh, see if you can write it in less code, right? Make it a more concise version. Can you test that it's actually correct, right? Because some of the things we do, I'm sure, have bugs. And so it's like, can you test that it's correct? And that's a big thing in Bitcoin Core, like the real, in any one of these coins is like, you really want to be sure that it's that everything's correct. And every once in a while, you'll see a big bug. Uh, and like, these could all be caught with tests if the testing was good enough, but the testing is never good enough. And so that's the idea is at the end, you have like a couple uh, playgrounds and you can just choose whatever one you thought was really interesting. You can sort of like build some projects with. And then uh, once you get under, you know, you become more of, more of an expert on some area, well, maybe you can try like a real version of one of these uh, and or like go get a job with a company that, that is building like leading edge stuff in one of these areas. And so the three projects we do, the first one is we build like a little mini Bitcoin. We build a, uh, a program that is like 700 lines of code in the Python programming language, which is the simplest, not the simple, it's a very simple language for beginners, but it's also very powerful. It, it, it powers Instagram, Dropbox, Trezor, and uh, Electrum Wallet. So it's very powerful. Uh, and so in like 700 lines of code, which is a very large program for a beginner, a relatively small program for an expert, uh, we're able to build a mini version of Bitcoin that has uh, network protocol, peer-to-peer -peer networking, transaction inputs and outputs, a mempool, a blockchain, uh, a, uh, the ability to do consensus, so do reorganizations if two chains diverge and one surpasses the main chain, uh, and a monetary policy, including difficulty adjustment and uh, halvenings and fees. You know, you have fees that go to miners. And so it's, it's really insane. It's like all the Bitcoin stuff. It's all the really core features, but none of like the details or optimizations that the real Bitcoin network has to have because it, uh, it's got to be like perfect and it's got to be super fast. So, so yeah, it's, it's, really, it's a really fun project. And I think at that point, you're going to be in a group of probably less than 5,000 people in the world who could actually implement a tiny Bitcoin with, uh, you know, un unaided. Like, there's probably not more than five, ten thousand 10,000 people in the world that could really do that. Maybe more. Hmm. But, like, uh, there's probably not that many people, honestly, who could mm -hmm. do it. And, uh, and so, and then we're going to deploy it. We haven't done this yet. We're going to deploy it in our class. And so every, so about, you know, you have like 30, 40 people. And we'll all try to like attack the network. We'll try to steal each other's coins. We'll try to uh, build like a little lightning exchange. So we'll be able to, you know, buy people's coins for lightning. So it'll only be worth a few Satoshis or something, but it'll, it'll be really exciting. You know, you'll try, we'll, we'll try to like build a mining pool. Maybe if you could do uh, mining with an ASIC, you know, you could do like a 51% attack, you know, you could do all these fun things on the network and, and really learn, like learn all of the lessons that someone would learn by doing an altcoin, but not have to, you know, I think sometimes an altcoin can be kind of morally compromising. Not have because, to break so many laws and moral virtues. Yeah, and, and a lot of times you end up with everyone's Bitcoin because they give you Bitcoin for your, your altcoin yeah. a lot of times. And like, and you give them back. And then an altcoin shit. goes to zero. Yeah, like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be Charlie Lee. Let's just put it that way yeah. uh, in 10 years or even now. So, uh, so, yeah, that's the first project. The second project is... Uh, we just we start working with a real Bitcoin network. So we do a couple. The first thing we do is like how you, we try to connect to a node, uh, look at a node on the Internet and try to send them a message over a socket. A socket is like a raw connection over the TCP network. That's this network below Bitcoin and the network below uh, the protocol below Bitcoin, the protocol below HTTP, which is what your uh, 
you know, what your browser uses to load web pages. And so we find some node and we're like, okay, uh, hello. And, and the node, the node doesn't say anything back. Right. And so it's like, oh shit, well, why, why didn't it say anything back? And I teach them about this thing called the version handshake. The version handshake is how two nodes uh, basically agree to have a conversation. And it has, you have to put like 70 bytes, basically 70 numbers between zero and 255. Uh, you have to s s put a sequence of these numbers together that's valid that your, your peer will understand. And so it's like, you have to really know what you're doing to get this right. But if you do get it right, and I teach everyone to get it right, they'll respond. And then you, you will basically respond saying you got their response and they'll saying, they'll respond saying they got your response to their response. And now you have a conversation and they'll start sending you messages. They'll say, Hey, here's a transaction. Here's a block. Here's all this stuff. And it's like, Oh shit, we're in the door. Uh, and, and then, so after that, we'll try to do like a crawler. We'll try to go and we'll ask them, Hey, what, who, who are your peers? And then once we get their peers listed, there's just the IP addresses of their peers. We'll go put those in a list and go through the list. And for every one of them, we'll go and connect to them and ask them for their peers. And we'll keep doing that. And pretty soon we visited every node in the network. And so that's a really interesting project. And then we do like a little initial block download, uh, learn how to download and validate the blockchain. We oversimplified a lot, but I think that really helps you understand what your full node does. Mm -hmm. And because uh, this is exactly what your full node does. Uh, and it's really cool. It's like the first, you know, for the first couple hundred blocks, there's nothing. And then all of a sudden, like block 173 or something, it's like, oh shit, here's a transaction. This is when Satoshi sent Halfini the first transaction in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. This is kind of cool. Like, I'm going to validate this and see that it was valid. And, uh, and so then after that, we're going to probably do one more. I haven't, we haven't, fin I haven't finished it yet, but it's probably going to be like a light, an SPV wall, like a really basic SPV mm -hmm. wallet. Mm -hmm. And eventually what I want to be able to do is, is like in future versions of the class, we turn this SPV wallet into like a mini coin join wall, like learn to do little coin joins and stuff. Uh, so, so stuff like that, like, I, like, these will all be extended. And so, so that's the second portion of the class. It's all about programming the real peer-to-peer -peer network. Hmm. Uh, and you learn all these interesting, you know, you learn how to communicate with a protocol. Like I always wonder, like, what the, what the hell is a protocol? You know, like I always used to wonder that it sounds interesting, but like what the hell even is a protocol? And like, I still don't know if I can define it, but like I, I actually know how to really interact with the, yeah. the Bitcoin one. Well, like, I really know how it works. Yeah, you and I are using a protocol right now. It's called English. And we're using it yeah, to convey exactly. ideas back and forth between each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, probably WebRTC too. That's probably what's sending the video and the audio back and yeah. forth. So it's like, so yeah, it's, uh, so that's the second part. And the third part, we build a hardware wallet. Uh, we take a little commodity piece of hardware. I don't have it on me. Here, just a second. Let me, I think I have it over here. So this thing, it's just like a little thing called M5 stack. It's got these three buttons on it. And uh, we, turn, we turn this into a hardware wallet. And so uh, we learned to put the crypto code that Trezor uses, the code that it uses to like SHA-256. That's the hash for like, uh, I won't explain all that. But like some of the, like for signing a transaction, you have to do some fancy cryptography, right? They say cryptocurrencies for a reason. So uh, all the cryptography, we, we, we do a fancy thing where we can actually run it on this tiny computer. And then, uh, so yeah, we do that. And So it's uh, like a build your own Trezor, basically. Yeah, it's like a build your own Trezor, exactly. And it is like, yeah, really actually exactly that. And so, uh, so build your own Trezor. And that sort of just like gives you a better understanding of like, what does a private key mean? 
Mm -hmm. right? Like these are, even if you never want to be a programmer, like you're going to put a lot of wealth in Bitcoin. Like you should really learn what a private key means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to be in trouble if you don't learn that. Yeah. So it's like, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, even if you're kind of a hobbyist, to, to be a hobbyist is probably a good thing in Bitcoin because you're, you're just like a lot less likely to shoot yourself in the foot. So, uh, so yeah, we do that. All and, right. So uh, and, let, let's say I'm a listener right now, right? And yeah. I don't know anything about programming and I just listened to you for the last 20 minutes and I have no idea what you said, but I'm interested, right? But That's I don't good. even... And I like that guy. Send, send me a message on Twitter if you're like But that, I don't even know where to start. I don't know, okay. like, I, there's no way I can take your course, Justin. I'm, I don't know anything about programming. I have no idea, like, where do I start? I'm definitely not qualified for this. Help me. What do I okay, do? So go to Google, go to Google and type solo learn. That's one word, S-O-L-O-L-E-A-R-N space Python. And you should see this website, uh, sololearn.com slash course slash Python. Click on that. Uh, learn to code for free. So this is the Python programming language. If you scroll up and down, you see there's all kinds of wonderful uh, things you do. And it's a big, long course. Uh, and you can do it all in, your, on your, uh, on, in a website here. And it's free. And I basically started on a similar website to this, like about five years ago. And so what I would recommend is you bookmark this. Uh, when you have some time, start going through this. You don't need to go fast. You can go nice and steady. Uh, try to, if you don't understand everything, that's okay. Just try to understand the parts that, uh, what you can. And if you get stuck, maybe go back and try it again. Uh, if you're really stuck, maybe send me a message on Twitter. And uh, you can just search Justin Moon on Twitter. That'll find me. It's Justin Moon with two uh, underscores on both sides. So, uh, so yeah. And when you finish, send me a message and I'll help you find what's next. Uh, maybe it's Biddle Bootcamp. Maybe it isn't. Uh, my whole thing is I don't try to convince everyone to do my class. I just try to, I just try to help a lot of people, and I have the assumption that maybe some of them will come do my class. And so far, that's been true. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just trying to get a lot of people involved in this because I think it's a really good thing. And yeah, that's that's where I'd recommend you get started. It's it's uh, it's easy, and I've had a bunch of people who I've recommended to who've already gone through it. I, I think you started somewhere similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so where can I go to learn more about Biddle Bootcamp? Biddle Bootcamp. BiddleBootcamp.com. That's where that's my website. Uh, I need to, yeah, it's kind of a mess right now, but I need to improve it. But I'm so busy, I never have time to improve the marketing or the uh, language. So yeah, BiddleBootcamp.com. Uh, check me out on, uh, I've been done about a bunch of other podcasts. Actually, I mean, this was great because I didn't, uh, uh, we talked about totally different stuff than I've talked about on any of the other ones. So I had a good one on, if you want to learn more, I talk about it a lot on Marty Bent's podcast. I've talked about it on Stevon Levera's podcast and on Noted next week. So there's a couple of other places I talk about it. Uh, and yeah, that's that's where you can learn more. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, if you live in Miami next week, I'm giving a, next on Monday, the uh, whatever, the 14th, I'm giving a class in person in Miami. Uh, if you want to go that, I mean, long shot, but maybe some people are there. And then in, I'm giving another class in Munich, Germany in February. Uh, so there's awesome. a couple other places you can maybe find me. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. So well, yeah, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Justin, th thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope that you, the listeners learned a lot. Uh, and as he said, you know, if you guys have any questions, if you guys are interested in Biddle Bootcamp, if you just want to learn more about Python because you want to get into Bitcoin programming, 
Feel yeah. free to reach out to Justin on Twitter. The cool like, are all doing it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Feel free to reach out to Justin on Twitter or reach out to me. You know, we'll happily point you towards resources to help get you started. Um, I I went through Biddle Bootcamp, guys, and I haven't. You know, I'm I I'm still like a complete noob. I don't know anything about anything, but I know more now than I did before, and it's yeah. it's been a wild ride, and I. I just want to keep learning as much as I possibly can about this because it's it's amazing. Bitcoin is amazing and awesome. It's going to change the world. Um, Justin, thanks again, man, for ha- for coming on. Thanks again, Colin. Yeah. All right, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. I think Justin's a really cool guy. I always love talking with him. Don't forget, go check out BiddleBootCamp.com if you want more information about his course and you want to sign up and you want to get involved. It's a really good time. I had a lot of fun and it just gets better and better with every iteration. And if you guys want to follow the podcast, if you don't know already, you can find us at BitcoinEchoChamber.com where you can find all of our podcast episodes. You can support the show if you want to, or you can reach out to me if you have any questions or comments or anything like that. Thanks again for stopping by, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and drop a review or a like or whatever on the podcast. And I'll see you in the next one.